Chapter 25 of The Inner Shrine by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 25. Meetings having been exchanged, it was Miss Lucilla's policy to draw her uncle away to some other room, leaving Marian free to have her conference with Brune. But the old man settled himself in his chair again with no intention of quitting the field. Eric, too, entered on the task of dislodging him, but without success. Nursing his knee and peering at Marian with bulgy, short-sighted eyes, the banker kept her answering questions as to Mrs. Bayford's health, blind to her obvious nervousness and distress. The cousins exchanged baffled, impatient glances, while Lucilla managed to say in an undertone, Take Marian to the drawing-room. We'll never get him to go. Eric was about to comply with this suggestion when the footman threw open the library door again. For a moment, no one appeared though a sound of smothered voices from the hall caused the four within the room to sit in strangely aroused expectancy. "'No, no, I can't go in,' came a woman's whispered protest. "'You can do it without me.' "'You must,' was the man's response, and a second later, Pinoville was on the threshold, standing aside as Diane Evelyn entered. Derek sprang to his feet, but, as if petrified by a sense of his own impotence, stood still. Miss Lucilla, the instinct of the hostess awake, even in these strange conditions, went forward with her hand half outstretched, and the words Monsieur de Bienville on her lips. The old banker rose, and, taking Diane's hand, drew it within his arm in a protecting way to which she was grateful, while she suffered him to lead her some steps apart. Marian Grimston alone, seated in a distant corner, did not move. With her arm resting on a small table, he watched the rapidly enacted scene with the detachment of a spectator looking at a play. She had thrown back her black veil over her hat, and, against the dark background, her face had the grave, marble whiteness of classic features in stone. During the minute of interrogatory silence that ensued, Neuville, with quick reversion to the habits of the drawing-room, was able to re-establish his self-control. With his hat, his gloves, and his stick, he had that air of the casual visitor which helped to give him back the sensation of having his feet on a custom ground. "'I must beg your pardon, Miss Van Thromp, for disturbing you,' he said, addressing himself to Miss Lucilla, who stood in the foreground. "'I shouldn't have come so if I hadn't something of great importance to say.' His voice was so calm that Miss Lucilla could not do otherwise than reply in the same vein of commonplace formality. "'Very glad to see you, Monsieur Bienville. Won't you sit down? I was just going to ring for tea.' Thank you, he said, with a wave of the hand that declined without words the profit entertainment. Perhaps I had better say what I have to say and go. Oh, do you think so? Having fulfilled her necessary duties as mistress of the house, he felt at liberty to fall back, leaving Bienville isolated in the doorway. Mr. Prune, he said after further brief hesitation, I come to make a confession which can scarcely be a confession to anyone in this room but you. Eric grew white to the lips, but remained motionless, while Bienville went on. On the way up from South America last spring, I said certain things about a certain lady which were not true. I said them first out of thoughtless folly, but I maintained them afterward with deliberate intent. When I pretended to take them back, I did so in a way which, as I knew, must convince you further. It did. As he brought out the two words, Derek tried to look at Diane, 
She was clinging to the arm of old James Van Tromp, but her frightened eyes were riveted on Peelville. I'm telling you the truth today, Peelville continued, partly because circumstances have forced my hand, partly because someone whom I greatly respect desires it, and partly because something within myself, I might almost call it the manhood I've been fighting against, has made it imperative. I've come to the point where my punishment is greater than I can bear. I'm not so lost to honour as not to know that life is no longer worth the living when honour is lost to me. He spoke without a tremor, leaning easily on the cane he held against his hip. I must do myself the justice to say that the wrong of which I was guilty had its origin at the first in a sort of inadvertence. I had no intention of doing anyone irreparable harm. I was taking part in a game, but I meant to play it fairly. The lady of whom I speak would bear me out when I say that the people among whom she and I were born, in France, in Paris, engage in this game as a sort of sport, and we call it love. It isn't love in any of the senses in which you understand it here. We give it a meaning of our own. It's a game that requires the combination of many kinds of skill, and if it doesn't call for a conspicuous display of virtues, it lays all the greater emphasis on its own few stringent rules. Like all other sports, it demands a certain kind of integrity, in which the moralist could easily pick holes, but which nevertheless constitutes its saving grace. Well, in this game of love I beat it. I said one day that I had won, but I hadn't won. I said it to people who welcomed my victory, not through friendship for me, but from envy of them. The perspiration began to stand in beads upon Bienville's forehead, but he held himself erect and went on with the same outward tranquillity. His eyes were fixed on prunes, and prunes on his, in a gaze from which even the nearest objects were excluded. In the little group in which we lived, her position was peculiar. She was both within our gates and without them. While she was one of us by birth, she was a stranger by education and by marriage. She was admitted with a welcome, and at the same time with a question. She was a mark for enmity from the very first. There was something about her that challenged our institutions. Among our worn-out passions and moribund ideals, she brought a freshness we resented. She made our prejudices seem absurd in contrast with her own sanity, and showed our moral standards to be rotten by the light of the something clear and virginal in her character. I can't tell you how this effect was brought about, but there were a few of us who weren't aware of it, as there were a few of us who didn't hate it. There was but one impulse among us to capture in a fault and make her no better than ourselves. The daring of her innocence afforded us many opportunities, and we made use of them. One man after another confessed himself defeated. Then came my turn. I wasn't really defeated. I was put to utter rout with ridicule and scorn. That was too much for me. I couldn't stand it, and... and... I lied. Beaville, that will do. Brian cried out in a pleading wail. Don't say any more. I'm not sure that there's any more I need to say. The rest can be easily understood. 
Everyone knows how a man who lies once is obliged to lie again, and again, and yet again, unless he frees himself, as I do. When I began, I thought it had it in me to go on heroically, but I hadn't. I can't keep it up. I'm not one of the master villains who command respect from force of prowess. I'm a weakling in evil, as in good, neither for God nor for the devil. But that's my affair. I needn't trouble anyone here with what only concerns myself. It's too late for me to make everything right now, but I'll do what I can before... before... I mean... He stammered on. I'll write. I'll write to the people. There were only a few of them to whom I actually used the words I did. I'll ask them to correct the impression I have given. I know they'll do it when they know. He stopped helplessly. The luster died out of his eyes his pallor became sullenness. But I've said enough, he began again, making a tremendous effort to regain his self-mastery. You can have no doubt as to my meaning, and you will be able to fill in anything I may have left unspoken. Now, he added, sweeping the room with a look, now I'd better go. Oh, my God, you infernal scoundrel, shouted Mary Prune. You shall not go. All the suffering of months shot out in the red gleam of his eyes, while the muscular tension of his neck was like that of an infuriated mastiff. In three strides he was across the room, with clenched fist uplifted. Neuville had barely time to fold his arms and stand with feet together and head erect, awaiting the blow. Go on, he said, as Derek stood with hand poised above him. Go on. There was a second of breathless stillness. And slowly the clenched fingers began to relax, and the open hand descended softly, gently, on Gilgil's shoulder. Between the two men there passed a look of things unspeakable, till, with a bent head and drooping figure, Derek wheeled away. I'll say goodbye now. Gilgil's voice was husky, but he bowed with dignity to each member of the company in turn, and the Marian groups at last. Oh! The name arrested him as he was about to go. He looked at her inquiringly. Oh! she said again, without rising from her place. I promise that if you ever did what you've done today, I would be your wife. You did? he answered. But I've already given you to understand that I claim no such reward. It isn't you who will be claiming the reward. It's I. I've suffered much. I've earned it. The very fact that you've suffered much would be my motive in not allowing you to suffer more. Raoul, no man knows the sources of a woman's joy and pain. How can you tell from what is to save me? There's one thing from which I must save you, from uniting your destiny with that of a man who has no future, from pouring the riches of your heart into a bottomless pit where they could do no one any good. Thank you, mademoiselle, with all my soul. I've asked you many times for your love. One of the hard things I've had to do today, the hardest, is to give it back to you. Now, when at last you offer it. Don't add to my bitterness by urging it on me. Raoul, she cried, raising herself up, you don't understand. We regard these things differently here from the way in which you do in France. It may be true, as you say, that in losing your honour you've lost all, in franchise. But we don't feel like that. Never look on anyone as beyond redemption. You should consider that a man who has been brave enough to do what you've done today has gone far to establish his 
moral regeneration. You can honour him in certain ways, in certain ways, Raoul, almost more than if he had never done wrong at all. None of us would condemn him or cast a stone at him. Should we, Lucilla? Should we misapprove? No, no, Miss Lucilla sobbed. We pity him, we take him to our hearts. She's right, young girl, Mary muttered, nodding towards Marion. Better do just as she says. I'm a Frenchman, I'm, I'm a Neoville, I, I can't accept mercy. But you can't bestow it, the girl cried passionately. Anyone would tell you that, after all that has happened, after this, I, I should be happier in sharing your life than in being shut out of it. I appeal to you, Miss Lucilla, I appeal to you, Diane. Wouldn't any woman be proud to be the wife of Raoul de Bonville after what he's done this afternoon, no matter how the world turns against him? These ladies, in the goodness of their hearts, might say anything they chose, but nothing would alter their conviction that for you to be my wife would be only to add misery to mistake. And so, the old banker corroborated, smacking his lips, but you wouldn't be much worse when you've done that than you are now. So why not just let her have her way? Neville tried to speak again, but his dry lips refused to frame the words. No, but impossible. Drag you down, came incoherently from him, when by a quick backward movement he stepped over the threshold into the semi-obscurity of the hall. The act was so sudden that a second had already elapsed before Marian Grimson uttered the cry that rent her like the wail of some strong primordial creature without the power of tears. I will come back. With rapid motion she glided across the room and was in the hall. I will come back. She descended the hall, and had almost reached him as he opened the door to pass out. Raoul, I love you! The door closed as, falling against it, she sank to the floor. Before Miss Lucilla and James Van Tromp could reach her, she was already losing consciousness. End of chapter 25